Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are here to talk about a very satisfying 2-0 victory against Chelsea. But before we get to that, I want to introduce my co-host this week, who would, I'm sure, implore you to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes and follow our Twitter feed, at WDR Podcast. That's WDR, as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Coming to us from... The corridors of East Atlanta. Uh, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, how's the hallway? Well, I like you need to sort out your geographical descriptions because I went from a suburb to a corridor. I, I'm dying to find out what's next. See, I'm keeping you on your toes. And um, oh, but uh, tell us how the corridors of East Atlanta. No, I just like I lost sight of the fact that there may have been a question involved because I was so focused on the corridor part of things. But we can move on. Okay, fair enough. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, needless to say, coming to us from the ski lifts of South Florida, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, uh, how's how are the slopes? Great, great, just wonderful. <laughs> um, uh, I I appreciate that for me you were remarkably consistent in the way that you describe Florida, um, a notoriously not hilly part of the country. Um, so I can only assume that what I, I have long thought was literal interpretation of the geography of here, that this is some weird metaphor that I don't really understand. I mean, um, who could, who could guess what I'm talking about every week for the last three yeah, years? I, um, I'm going to do some research, honestly, and, uh, I'll report back. Well, keep your nose clean. Uh, on that note, it, it's time to move on to what I think might be the most comfortable win against Chelsea I can remember. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Spurs beat Chelsea, like I said, 2-0, and I don't want to say it was never in doubt, but it sure felt like we were in the driver's seat for this whole match. Uh, ben, was this a, a nervy game for you at all? Yeah, surprisingly not. I mean... You know, Conte has notoriously struggled against Chelsea. Spurs have notoriously struggled against Chelsea. This never really felt like it was in danger of getting away from us. Um, the only the only moment that, you know, made me think the fates were aligned against us was the red card incident, which we can get to, I'm sure, in due time. But when that went against us, it felt like the karmic wheels were falling off and something catastrophically stupid was about to happen like every but other chelsea match that we've ever watched us play yeah i mean it was just one of those things where chelsea just looked so impotent the entire game like there wasn't even really any attacking moves that were were particularly threatening um you know they didn't they didn't look dangerous from set pieces. I, you know, usually in these games, like Ziyech is good for like some crazy curler from the edge of the box that like the goalkeeper has to scramble for. And then like, you get really nervous about, and, you know, uh, it seems like one of their defenders always scores on a set piece, but they just didn't really have those kind of opportunities. They didn't really generate, um, you know, much in the final third at all. And, I mean, I think that's kind of indicative of what they've done this entire month. Um, I think I saw someone on Twitter put together like a, a thread of uh, Chelsea's best goals of the month, and it's the one, goal, the only the one goal <laughs> against Aston Villa. Um, and um, you know, so like that—that's what this team is under Potter. And um, yeah, it was it was comfortable just because it never even seemed like they were going to threaten us just because, and not even because we were good or because we were, you know, dominating the ball or doing good things, which we did in the second half. But like, especially in the first half, it was just like, I just didn't feel like they were ever going to do anything. Yeah. I, maybe I'm being a bit of a Pollyanna, Brian, but even in the first half, it felt like 
I don't know. It felt like we were we were containing them well. Like it did feel like we had something to do with it. Like we were shutting them down. We were shuttling the ball where we wanted it to go. We, any the only team that created anything I think real um, in the way of chances was Spurs in the first half. I mean, it was very. I don't know. If this felt like one of the steadier Spurs performances of the year, and uh, you know, I'm never gonna. I mean, Again, I don't, I don't want to get too carried away because Chelsea have been very, very bad, as you sort of alluded to with how many goals they've scored in the month of February. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't care how high we're riding and how low Chelsea are. It feels like we never, ever have a game like this against them, um, even when we're in good form and they're in poor form. Uh, and it was – I thought we played very well and very – I don't know. It's it's we've we've had trouble managing games a lot a lot this year, and I think we did a really good job of it in this match. Even if you know Graham Potter's you know sort of football revolution of not scoring goals might have you know helped us out a little bit because they did look toothless going forward. Yeah, even even besides like the actual performance on the pitch, this was like the quintessential Dr. Tottenham opportunity to meet a team in terrible form. You know, I got yelled at last week for being bullish about how bad they were and how good our chances were. And, yeah, I was, like, convinced that this was going to be after I, after I got off the podcast and I had a moment to reflect on, you know, the jinx I put out in the world. That this was definitely going to be the opportunity for, for Graham Potter to prove to everyone that we should have hired him and he was he's the right man for the job at Chelsea all along. And it just never happened, just not even for a minute. Um so what you're you saying know. is that you were right and you want to rub our faces. In. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I wasn't going to say that, but yes, thank you for pointing that out. Brian. Because you trust our listeners to figure that out for themselves, right? <laughs> That's right. They have a really strong critical thinking faculties that, you know, only the most dangerous Tottenham podcast listeners can navigate, you know, the... Look, there's just a lot of nuance in some of the words that you guys say. And for some of the simpler folks out there, like me, we need to dumb it down a little bit. All right, give it your best shot, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've already said all the words that I know. Um, um, oh, uh, so do you guys think that Silva getting hurt yes. that early in the game changed things a lot for for us and how we were playing uh, them uh, so, so silva is two things one i think he has the most punchable face in world football i fucking hate that guy you just look at him and you just think like this is a man who cheats on his wife cheats on his taxes and probably is like selling drugs to elementary school children he just looks like an asshole but you know i think and he's ageless that's the thing that's really frustrating about him is like he doesn't seem he doesn't he's not losing a step it doesn't seem like he's losing a step whenever i watch him like his play on that um Really early on, Tottenham had a really nice set of moves around the box. And Harry Kane did a really nice job to sort of wriggle free on the left. And he almost certainly gets a shot off if Silva doesn't make an inch-perfect tackle there. I mean, maybe there's there's sort of enough bodies flying around that who knows what happens. But the point is, you know, Silva's able to sort of dive in there and take the ball off Kane's foot. And I think that's just, in a microcosm example, of what a good defender Silva is. And... I don't know if the game is different. Like, certainly he's not stopping skip shot. But I, he's such an assured defender. I, I I can't help but think that was detrimental to Chelsea as the game went on. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks well of his class that Chelsea have bought 47 center backs this year, and he is still the first name, you know, on that back line whenever he's, he's ready to go. Uh, yeah, I mean, we still would have won, but it, helped. it was nice it that helped. he yeah. left. <laughs> I think the only, aside from him, and I'm not going to count him, and I know we're talking a lot about Chelsea, but that's going to be done within a second. Um, I thought Felix was the only player on Chelsea was consistently, who was consistently above average. I don't know what you want to call it. Even then, he was getting bodied off the ball like the entire match. Like, I mean, Skip scores that goal because he just knocks Felix off of the ball. Um, but he was the only Chelsea player that looked like he had anything about him all day, I thought. Yeah, I mean, Sterling looked kind of dangerous in the first, like, 10 minutes. Um, and then, yeah, everybody else was pretty anonymous. I mean, you know, uh, Loftus-Cheek goes off kind of, like, midway through the second half. And I can't tell you a single thing that he did in the entire match. 
Um, you know, Reese James was out there the whole game. And, uh, you know, he's one of those players that I was really worried about because he caused us so many problems when we played them earlier in the year. And he basically didn't touch the ball. Um, and, you know, uh, I think there was the, the pass map going around on Twitter. Um, and it's basically just, you know, uh, the Chilwell passing it to Enzo, passing it to Sterling and Felix, and then back, and then, but and there's basically nothing on the right side of their formation, which was, I thought, incredibly weird. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's us, if that's Stellini, but uh, I mean, they just they just didn't look like they were doing anything with so many of those guys. Especially given that, like, that's the vulnerable side of the pitch for us. I mean, you know, credit to Richarlison. He worked his ass off. We can get to him in a second. But, like, you know, Longley and Davis are not the defensive duo that Romero and Royale have been, you know. And while it seems think... like if you're lining up against Spurs, that's, like, the vulnerable spot. Like, Longley is clearly the worst guy in the pitch. That's where you should be trying to, like, unpick this team. And like you said, Ryan, they did not at all. And Longley was, I think, the only guy on the Spurs to have a real substandard performance. Davis, like you said, Ben, like I would target him, but I thought he acquitted himself fairly well um, and did a really good job being threatening, I thought. Um, but, yeah, let's. I think we've talked enough about Chelsea, and I'm sure we'll talk about them in due course But um, as we discuss Spurs players. But uh, I want to get on to our performance. Cause I think in a lot of ways this was – I think – our front line, I think this was the kind of performance that I think we all wanted to see. And, like, I think Richarlson needs to get more shots going forward. But at the same time, like, he did exi- – when I saw that lineup came out, like, this is exactly a performance I wanted out of Richarlson. He was causing them problems. He was holding up the ball. He was just, like, beating the crap out of Chelsea's back line all day. Like, just doing all that, like, dirty shit that he's so good at. It was – I thought – this is what we've been crying out for when we when we say we want him starting over Son while Son's form is like this. And, you know, if we're going to ask a guy to play with his back to goal and receive the ball up top, like, he was able to do it. And I thought I was really impressed with – for a guy who didn't maybe create as many chances as I would have liked, I was still really impressed with his performance against Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, he did – like you said, he did all that dirty work. He, um, you know – pinned back Reese James and, you know, made himself a constant nuisance to the entire Chelsea back line. And, uh, you know, is yeah. Would it be great if he was getting more shots or whatever, or, or finding himself in the box more? Yeah. But, you know, like you said, he's, he's on the end of the long balls forward and his touch is better than Suns has been all year. And so he's, even though he's not necessarily a great passer, he's still capable of laying it off to, um, you know, one of the midfielders or the wingback or Harry Kane and, and then allowing the attack to build. I felt like, you know, so often this season when we've had Sun out there uh, and the ball finds him on the counterattack, it just kind of dies there because Sun takes a bad touch or he dribbles into a crowd or whatever. And Richarlison was doing that less like he he wasn't necessarily like the reason that the break started or whatever but he was the reason that the break was able to continue and it'd be nice to see him then you know get back into the box and get on the end of some stuff but like as a performance against you know a a club that is a, a top six club you know not in the actual standings but in stature i suppose um this is what you want like you want him to do this sort of stuff. And like, even when he wasn't actually very effective with the ball at his feet, he was always hustling for every second ball. Anytime he didn't, you know, make a pass or didn't beat his man, he was right there fighting for it. And if he didn't pick up the second ball, like he was creating opportunities for somebody else to recover it because he was putting the the Chelsea player under pressure um, and it was just able to keep us on the front foot a lot more than we've been able to this season because that's just a level of effort and work rate and physicality, you know, all up and down that flank that we've just been sorely lacking. And, and I think especially against a team like, I mean, we, we were joking about the Dr. Tottenham thing earlier, and I think against a team like Chelsea, a performance like he had is really important because, 
you know, especially as like the game drags on a little bit and Chelsea haven't scored, it's, you know, when you're playing up against the guy who's that big, willing to pick fights, willing to step on your foot and do all this other stuff, you know, it's like, it just makes it for, it's, it, you know, I'm sure it's sort of set in eventually with the Chelsea players. Like, this is going to be a long day at the office and it's got to be demoralizing on some level. And that's on top of all the like, you know, like Brian said, he was he was doing a good job of keep, keeping involved in play, and like you said, Ben, going for the second balls. He was doing all that stuff, but all his intangibles. Like, I think that's exactly what you need against a team like Chelsea um, in the position they're in, and you know, sort of what typically happens with, with us and them. You know, I mean, honestly, I feel like we're usually on the other end of a performance like that from somebody on Chelsea. Well, and the thing is, is like he's he's just been so integral to us actually having a functioning press in the last couple of matches. And look, it's not because Sun doesn't work hard because he does. Um, just not in the same way. Like, like, like you guys were saying, like he's bodying people. He's chasing down things in blind alleys. He is, you know, running after loose balls. Like, you know, it, and, and he's really kind of a trigger for the press. And I think you know, watching him, in in some of Chelsea's passages play, he's consistently moving into passing lanes to basically cut off like a half of the pitch for them. And it, I think that's a large part of the reason why that ball never gets filtered over to Reese James and and other folks on the on that side of the pitch is because he's he's either cutting off the passing lanes or he is just consistently close to those guys to make it so that they're not viable options in build up. I mean, we, we, I think we've said this on this podcast, certainly lots of other Spurs fans and journalists have said, this is not a new thing to say, but like you see exactly why Everton fans loved him so much. Like, you know, just the way he busts his ass up and down the pitch, he's in the middle of every fight on the pitch. You know, it's, he's getting guys sent off or at least doing his level best to make it happen. It's, you know, I mean, he's just, you know, he's a, I, I don't know if he's worth his transfer fee, but I love him anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we don't have to talk about how much we overpaid for him, but the fact is, is like we have him and we have been struggling and it's about time we're finally getting the opportunity to see what he can do out there. And, you know, you'd like that to be a more productive player who's scoring, you know, 10 goals or something. But if he's not doing that, like this is a nice start. And we'll talk about another player who I thought was impressive, and this is, I guess, obvious. But Oliver Skip, I thought, had another day where he acquitted himself fairly well. I know that he was a little sloppy early on, but I thought he just he didn't look overmatched by the game, which I think is absolutely something that could have been a problem. I thought he was physical um, in a very impressive way. And, you know, that's a amazing goal he scored, and kudos to him for that. Um, and I think the goal was sort of an encapsulation of what I like about him so much. He's more progressive than you think, but he's also just a very tenacious defensive mid. I mean, he get, he gets that ball for the goal because he just, like, gets in front of Felix and shoves him out of his way so he can go take a shot. But I think he also has a little bit of, you know, I think he's got a, I, I think he's got an ability to be more progressive than a lot of people think he can be. And it was just... I don't know. It was a really impressive performance from him, and, and I'm probably letting the opponent that he was playing color some of my perceptions on that. But I think, you know, I mean, we were all impressed with him last year when Conte first got here, and he's been hurt so long and then out of the team for so long. It's maybe a little easy to forget. But he's been very assured ever since he got put back in the squad a couple weeks ago, and it's, you know, it's great to watch. Yeah, I mean, we talked about him last week and how how good he's been um, in the last couple of weeks, and you know, this was just kind of a continuation of that. And um, yes, he was very fortunate that he didn't uh, give away a penalty in the what the first five minutes or something of the game. And I don't know, maybe we're fortunate that VAR didn't say that he fouled Felix on that goal, like. I don't know, but regardless, like the way the like, refing and VAR went that match, I don't think anything was forced. I don't I think, think they all just took the day off. Yeah, yeah. but I don't think <laughs> I, I I don't think that I don't think that's ever a foul on the goal. Like that that is not. It's only not a foul because he scored. You know, I think like if he had blasted that, you know, ten yards over, it probably would have been called for a foul. Um but I don't know. What it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he still scored it, and they didn't even look at it. Really, it didn't seem like so. Um, you know, 
I I think Skip's great. I, I think he's a really good and useful player for us. I think it's unfortunate, you know, the way this season or last season kind of played out where he got injured um, at sort of the beginning for Conte and then just wasn't quite fully fit at the beginning of this year. And it's also unfortunate that we have, you know, three guys in front of him who are basically the same as him. Um, but are just slightly older and are, you know, playing for their national team and whatever. So, um, you know, I, I, I think he played great. I think, you know, it's really important, um, or at least, you know, fans place this great deal of importance on these players that understand these games. Like we talk about how Harry Kane, you know, comes through the academy and he understands how much, you know, London derbies mean to the club and to the fans and, and skips another guy like that. And I think, I think having guys like that in the team is, is always important. And, um, you know, I think, I think one of the things about skip that I appreciate most is he just seems to be very like cool and collected. Like he just doesn't ever really seem to get, too high or too low um he doesn't he hasn't really ever gotten kind of like you know the red mist or anything like that he's just been steady and consistent and 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 that's been really useful for us yeah go skip uh i'm i'm just really happy for him to score his first goal finally and to have it come in a match like this at, at a time when we were you know, kind of frustrated with things not quite coming off. We, you know, just had the red card disaster, um, you know, leading into halftime and for him to come out in the second half and just like reset the tone for us like that. It was just, I mean, he won the couldn't game. have happened to a nicer guy. I mean, that yeah, completely that took the air out of Chelsea sales. Um, when, when he scored that goal, what a goal that is. I mean, I don't know if it's Danny Rose against Arsenal. Good, but, like shit, that's a. I mean, imagine, like you said, imagine not only your debut goal, such a crucial goal against Chelsea. You know, a game where if you're an academy grad at Spurs, you know how important that is. But you know, you score that goal, like. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was really good. Yeah, uh, Whack the shit out of it. Well, it was just really funny to to hear him talk about the goal afterwards and him say, you know, like, oh, I didn't hit it quite the way I wanted to or whatever, which I think is hilarious. Like, you yeah, know, just lie, just lie, yeah, just just be like, I saw it and it sat up perfectly and I just smashed it. But he's like, no, you know, actually, I didn't think I hit it very cleanly and blah, blah, blah. and it's just like, I'm like, man, you just got to take it. Just just be like, yep, that's exactly what I meant to do. Uh, you know, Harry Winks wasn't doing that when he, you know, floated across into the top corner. Um, so, you know, he should take a page out of the Harry Winks book, um, if only for that. Nothing nothing else, really, but just that specifically. Um, but what I was going to say was, I really liked that coming out of halftime, we seemed to just up the level of intensity. And and coming from the two guys that we just we've already talked about specifically, Richarlison uh, and and Skip, like they were two guys who really just kind of you could tell coming out of halftime had been told, all right, we're going to press now, get out there, go nuts. And just that pressure is eventually what what leads to the goal. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that it's like. It was so common under in the Pochettino era and has been so lacking in the last few years of that, you know, the way of creating chances from just putting the other team under pressure in transition. Um, and, yeah, it would be nice to get that back into well, how yeah. this team plays because, you know, we do have a lot of guys who can capitalize on sort of broken plays like that and – you know, not a lot of guys who can really like structure attacks from calm possession, and it's like it's just nice to see us sort of bringing other other uh, tools back into our our oh, fuck. I was gonna say arsenal, but I don't want to say that word. Find a synonym, Brian. Uh, you said toolbox. That would have been right, tools cool. in the toolbox. That's fine. Yeah, cool. I like that one. That, and that's something that our you know our working man fans can appreciate <laughs> as well. Not everyone has an arsenal at their home. Well, well maybe some of the work. Some of our podcast hosts do. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got an arsenal in the next room. 
But yeah. um, no, it's it's interesting because like Skip was talking about how they've been working on getting second balls, and like you said, Ben, like a lot of the Pochettino, like the best Pochettino teams, were predicated on like, all right, we're going to give you possession, and then we're going to just like you know when things get messy, we're going to take it over, and you're not going to be able to deal with it because we're going to be ready to snap into attack, and you're still going to be like figuring out what the hell you're supposed to do, and. Yeah, I, I think especially that first goal, uh, you know, it, it felt like you said like a vintage Pochettino goal where we just took it to them. They were completely disorganized, and when they lost the ball, they had no idea what to do. But we did, which is fucking put it your laces through it from like thirty five yards out. Yeah, and the other thing that felt like very vintage Tottenham is just the way we were countering, the way we were moving the ball in transition, the way we were you know, constructing attacks, you know, we put a lot of pretty one touch passing around the box, a lot of fluid moves that again, we just haven't seen a lot of this season and it all seems to be clicking in a way that's, you know, just makes me frustrated that it wasn't there before, but it's so nice to see that like, yeah, these guys aren't fucking donkeys. Like they know how to do this. They can put these kinds of attacks together and they didn't all come off and we didn't always get the shot at the end of the move, but like, seeing this stuff kind of like gel again is like, I don't, I don't want to have hope, but it gives me hope. I'm well, very curious about what it is that has kind of spurred our, uh, our newfound ability to construct counterattacks. Well, I think like, I know what it is. I think it's Ben's favorite player on Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> and his newfound role in our attack. You want to talk about uh, the man, the myth, the Emerson Royale, Ben? Yeah, uh, another another fine day at the office for Paul Emerson, huh? I mean, yeah, we talked about the sort of tactical role last week, but I think it was even more apparent, you know, how differently he's playing um, against Chelsea's. He is using his strengths and minimizing his weaknesses by not being the guy who's high and wide and going down the byline and trying to whip in crosses that he just can't deliver. And is instead playing this like underlapping kind of inverted interior fullback role. Um, and it's just so much better suited to his game. And, you know, we talked a lot during his struggles about like, well, he might be better as like a fullback and not as a wingback, but we don't play that way. And, you know, this is finally someone has figured out that like we can play the way we want to play with this, you know, broad setup that, you know, Conte insists upon that still like leverages the strengths of the guys that we have out there instead of trying to keep shoving that square peg into a round hole. Um, but yeah, he is, uh, he is thriving. Well, I think it's also been interesting that not only is, is Emerson playing well on the right side, but Ben Davies has been, uh, amazing as a left wing back. And and I think we've talked in our writer's room about like how much does Emerson contribute to Davies being better and how much does Davies contribute to Emerson looking better because, you know, they're both one, one is doing X, the other's doing Y and then it seems to work. But like, I mean, in this match, especially I saw a lot of us switching the point of attack in a way that we just really haven't all season. Like there were full field switches of play that were not just hopeful diagonal balls from Eric Dyer. Like these were purposeful passes that, that, that either fullback was getting on the end of. And then we were able to uh, continue forward with those into meaningful attacking opportunities. And it's just been great. Like, like that has been the thing where, you know, where I'm like, Oh, we have our Tottenham back where we have, you know, these fullbacks doing act or wingbacks, I guess, doing actual wingback things um, that we haven't seen in a long time. And um, it, it really pains me that it's Ben Davies that is, that is doing them, but uh, he's been really great the last two games. Why does it pain you that it's, that it's old Ben? Yeah, because it's Ben Davies, and he's very boring and safe, and, like, you know, it, it's Apparently just, like... not. <laughs> I know, and that's the thing, is, like, you know, we, we've... I think we as a podcast have been, like, pretty eh on Ben Davies over the, his career, 
like we were always we always preferred Danny Rose to him because obviously and then you know in the last few years I think we've been pretty critical of him I feel like we really came around on him last year though like as a sure but didn't everybody like yeah we we were all like oh look he can play another position um but you know as this sort of fullback wingback situation like we were all pretty much down on this and you know whether it's his passing or his positioning or, or or whatever it is, it it is contributing to a functioning attack, and and there is ball progression happening. I don't know that he's necessarily the one doing it. I haven't looked at any of the stats, but like the ball moves down that flank now in a way that it didn't with you know guys who are you know purpose built wingbacks for a Conte system like a like a Ivan Perisic, and and. Yeah, I, I, Davies is just like a good player, I think. And, and, and you know, I, like I said, I don't know whether it's his football intelligence, whether it's his tactical awareness, whether it's his passing. Like, what? It's not his athleticism, but it's something. He has something that is making well, him work. There's something. That, I mean, the thing about Davies as a fullback was always he was always best in the final third. I I, I thought you know. It, his ability to pass is his ability to sort of move but you know he always never had that athleticism so it was always you know he's got to get back on his horse and get back down the pitch and that was always I think where we ran into a lot of problems with him and I guess in a system maybe where we're pushing our wing backs up more often you know maybe you know he doesn't necessarily have as much defensive responsibility uh you know maybe that's really helping I mean I know there's been on the extra inch they talked about this week but apparently it's been sort of circulating around the Spurs internet is that, you know, like Perisic and Son have been a particularly bad fit and that might account for some of Son's struggles this year. I think I think it's broader than that, but I think there is something to be said for, you know, Davies just being a good fit for this team, especially in the final third, and which is weird because I, it's, Perisic isn't like a slouch as an attacker, but... It does seem to no. be clicking a little bit better. But it's again, it's it's how they move the ball into the final third and how they choose to, you know, create attacks. Parasitch is a guy who his delivery is still, you know, besides Kane, the best on the team. He puts in crosses, he digs the balls out of his feet that, you know, go where they're supposed to go. He is very good delivery like that, but he wants to be in those like high wide areas and like whipping and crosses or like getting into the box, like taking shots. And Davis isn't that kind of player. He comes inside and he likes to combine with the players around him and pass and move and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, when Harry Kane is kind of the focal point of how chances get created, getting your, your wingbacks and Royale and Davis closer to him and combining with him more you know, earlier in moves, uh, you know, allows for a lot more um, sort of like give and go, you know, one twos and one touch passing as we move the ball up the field rather than trying to force it up the wings and like create something once they get all the way down the pitch. Um, It just hasn't been a successful, you know, form of attack for us. And this is again, just working. And Richarlison, you know, you talk about Ben Davis's lack of athleticism and inability to, kind of get back on on defense you know Richarlison is turning into a great partner for that because he is willing to run up and down the pitch and Harry guys all the way back into his own box uh you know and if Ben Davis can't get there it's it's less of a problem and you know it's like finally we're kind of rebalancing this team in a way that guys are compensating for each other's strengths and weaknesses and working together as a unit uh, in a way that just felt so absent for so long. Well, and the other thing about, you know, both Davies and Royale being able to tuck inside and kind of be these sort of Pep Guardiola fullback turn midfielder situations is, you know, it then allows our midfielders to move forward in a way that they weren't when they were being asked to do a lot of the ball progression. And when Harry Kane is dropping deep and then he's got runners both through the middle and out wide, um, he's got a lot of passing options. And and we saw a lot of times in the, in the last two games where Harry was, you know, not just distributing over the top passes to uh, a Kulisevsky or a Richarlison or a Son when he came on, but like, 
playing through balls right through the middle of defense because, you know, a defender had vacated space to come with Kane and then either Hoiberg or Skip went running in behind. And, like, and you know, we, we saw, I, I think it's the, the West Ham goal, like the running in behind came from Emerson. Like, you know, like it just having these guys doing these specific things has has changed fundamentally the way we were attacking. And I I am very curious um, if this is a significant deviation from the, the patterns and if this is like just the players being more free or if this is Stellini or if this is just Conte being like, you know what, fuck it. Do do whatever you guys want. I think there's a lot to be said for, and you know, I'm sure we can go back and find games where we're doing some of this without him. But like, I think a lot of it's what Charleston just lets us do. Like he takes away some of that dirty work from Kane up top, and he it, it kind of lets. I feel like he's really freed Kane up, and it's really affected the rest of our attack um, because he's able to just you know be in some of those places that we expect a center forward to be. And you combine that with I think what Ben was saying about like he just does so much defensive work on top of it, which it's like, you know, Son is willing to do, but between, like, you know, he's not as good at it as Richarlson, and he also doesn't have, like, crazy guy strength like Richarlson. I mean, like, Richarlson is absolutely not someone you want to get in a fight with. Um, And, you know, I think that physicality he brings, both in defense and offense, I think really changes a lot of the equation for what we can do as a team. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see when Conte returns, probably soon, if these things that we've built on in these last few weeks disappear or if they change or if we go back to things that weren't working before um, or if he just sticks with it because it's working and we'll never know how we got here in the first place. But um, it is going to be interesting to see how how that disrupts or not you know, the, the things that have been working. So are you guys now Stellini, no. Conte out, Stellini in? I mean, we are, if, if, if you didn't know that Conte wasn't on the sidelines, I mean, I don't feel like we are radically departing from his style of play. We have, But like Ben said, we are making adjustments in a way that we had not been previously. And I don't know, I mean, that could be, we're joking that it's Stellini, but like this could be like Conte is like sitting at home doing nothing but grinding film because he's a psychopath and, and like, isn't on the training pitch and actually coming up with new ideas. It could be where Charleston's just fully fit now and we can actually start mixing and matching. Like, you know, it could be, like, I don't know. I, I don't think, like, I like Skip a lot, but I don't think, like, losing Bentoncourt really opened up options there or it changed, you know, I don't think Skip really changes the way we can play. Yeah, could be so many things. It could be Stellini's a genius. It could be that. But I think that is the problem, though, is like is is you've seen just a general improvement in the overall level of play. And like, how do you attribute that? Like, like we were talking about, like, is it Royale that's making Davis look good or is it Davies that's making Royale look good? So, like, is it the two of them, like being able to combine and contribute to the attack? Like, is that what's making this all everything else now click? Or is it just, you know, is it the manager change? Is it whatever? And like, like you said, Greg, we'll, we'll probably never know to what extent this is, you know, Stellini and Mason doing something versus this is Conte doing something versus it's just Conte being gone. Like, we, I don't think we'll ever yeah, know. Is it, but... is it Conte's yeah, not yelling at them? For the Gipper. Yeah, is is yeah. it Conte's not yelling at them on the sideline so they feel a little more relaxed? Are they, like you said, is it just like, oh, shit, we got to go win one for the boss? I don't know. I really do think that there is, like, if I was going to ascribe to any specific theory, I do think the theory that Conte not being on the sideline and specifically directing the patterns like he does for every match is something that is different. Um, And I think that certainly with, with players that have played together for as long as a lot of our squad has, um, you know, just being able to rely on feel and instinct um, or to allow Harry Kane to just do stuff is probably an improvement for us. And, and so like, like you know, Conte's going to be back not for the FA cup game, but probably for the game this weekend. And so it'll be interesting to see what that game looks like. I really would like that game to go. Well. <laughs> just like, I, I don't need that narrative in my life. <laughs> 
I mean, look, we we've all been a little Conte out at one point or another, and so you know, if we lose to Wolves, uh, fine. Just like I mean, go back to the old me. Yeah, I mean, look, like... capitalism makes wolves of us all, <laughs> and we just have this F one thing where they've got a go kart track under the stadium now, and or soon, whatever. I didn't read it. Um, <laughs> so you know, capitalism is really starting to make wolves of Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> And yeah, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it wasn't a complete thought. I don't know. Had a lot of real, real vanguard of the proletariat here, Ben. Come on, come on. You're, you're, you got a reputation. You I'm gotta sorry. Up, so. I, I thought Brian was speaking to the common man, and now he's all off on this like theoretical tangents that you know I haven't read Look, enough theory to follow. <laughs> you know, common men love nothing more than co- uh, uh, capitalism. I almost say communism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> common men typically don't love communism uh if i'm if i understand how it works in practice correctly i don't think you do but that's conversation for another time yeah uh so speaking (laughs) speaking of things that work in practice and work in theory uh let's talk about that red card uh that never was uh i don't know about you guys uh i don't know i felt like here we go again was my overriding sense of what was happening there i i don't know like I feel like if a Tottenham player had done that, they absolutely would have been sent off. I think it was just such a stupid and confusing process. Like, so, you know, at least the one thing that, like, NFL reviews have going for them is you generally understand, A, what is being reviewed, and then you get an explanation after the fact like, even if it's just a cursory explanation, you get some sort of explanation as to why the call was overturned or, or upheld or whatever. And so for me, you know, watching on TV, what I just didn't understand was what it was that we were reviewing. Why was the red card given before the review? And then after the review, why was the red card taken away? And and then in all of this, it's like, why was Havertz yellow carded? And and also, why didn't Ziyech get a yellow card for uh, the initial foul? Like, there were just so many questions in, in all of this. Like, well, Yeah, because he, he pulled out – because I think there, I read a theory that the initial yellow card he pulled out was not for Ziyech. But I know when he pulled out a yellow at the end of all of that, or it got downgraded to a yellow, I was like, oh, well, ZH is getting sent off now, right? That's the second, he got shown two yellows on the same incident. But no, and I think you're right. Like, I mean, the point of that's of referees in the NFL doing that, explaining penalties or, you know, review decisions, it's stupid a lot of the time. But at least you, like, you can follow the train of thought. Like, I might not agree with it, but I understand why he did what he did, um, or at least what he thinks he is the reason for what he did. And that would have been helpful in that instance because we're all just guessing. And we have to watch like 20 replays. And as far as I can tell, the explanation for why Ziyech didn't get sent off was he hit the shoulder before he hit the face, which sounds like some bullshit to me. <laughs> but... Right. The, the lack of like on-pitch, in-the-moment transparency makes the debacle that is the review process so much more stupid. Like, yeah, if you tell us, upon review, you shoved him in the shoulder and his hand slipped and hit him in the face. Not a red card. Fine. That's stupid, but fine. Now I know what happened and, you know, but we're listening to like, you know, the commentators guessing at what's happening and like talking out of their ass. And they go to the studio at halftime and nobody there knows what the fuck's going on. And everyone's just like pontificating the same way we are. And it's just, this is not a good process. Like the review isn't good in the first place. Adding, you know, that like level of like, opacity 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 opaqueness unclearness i think opacity was right but this is what it's like for you guys when i talk i'm just curious yeah most of the the time um look it's not good Um, well the entire i don't know what it was like in england but like the entire halftime show or like 90 percent of it in america was why wasn't he red carded? Like, because the, 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 the pundits couldn't believe he hadn't been red carded. And then they watched the footage like six times to like come up with a reason they think it went the way it did. And it's, yeah, it's just, 
it, it's like, come on, explain yourself. It's, it's going to take like 30 extra seconds, like add a minute on the clock or whatever. Or don't, I don't care. Like, but you know, like, exp- like, I don't know. Like it would just make it easier if we understood what the referee was thinking. Well, it's just like, that's our experience as like fans watching on TV. Like imagine being in the yes. ground where you're not, e- you don't even get the replays. So for you and your perspective, you're just like watching the guys stand around while the referees talk. And then at the end of it, you know, or well, in the middle of it, you see ZH get a red card. And then after that, you see the ref go, no, no red card. And and you're left with nothing. And I think that's the thing that's frustrating is, is like, you know, I so much of English sports culture is focused on like the match going experience. And like, they have these blackouts on TV because they want people to go to the games and then like, you know, okay, well then explain to the people in the stadium why the thing that happened just happened. Like, you know, yes, it's for me as a fan watching in America, but like also maybe, I don't know, for the 60,000 people that are actually there, they should get to know why the hell the guy went over to the screen and then came back and said no red card. I can't believe, because it sounded like the guy in the booth was like, you need to give that guy a red card. He just hit Emerson in the face. And he pulls out his red card. And then he goes over to VAR. Like, like I, I would imagine if I've got a guy in my ear and be like, hey, man, that guy hit him in the face. I think you ought to give him a red card. If I was a referee, and I'm assuming this is how it went, because, again, we're all left to draw these conclusions on our own. I would, if I'm the referee at that point, I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to go watch the video review because I'm being told it's probably a red card, but clearly that wasn't his first reaction. Right. That should be the process. Like they, if they tell him, Hey, there's a red card incident, either we listen to that guy and give the red card or we say, okay, I'll go look at the screen and then make my decision based on what I'm seeing and what you're seeing. And instead it was like, there was, there's no clarity in like what what prompted that red card in the first place if he didn't seem to see the incident enough to have given it initially. It took forever for him to like come up with that red card. And then when he then watched it on the screen, the standard for overturning the decision on the field is that a clear and obvious error was made. And nothing about if the call on the field is red card, nothing about what we saw on the monitor says, oh, that was clearly and obviously wrong. So how do we get here? Like, just nothing makes any sense. And that was the worst one. My understanding of it was that is the fourth official was the person that said, hey, I think this is a red card. And then the VAR official was the one who said, I don't think this is a red card. You should probably look at the screen. But even if that's the case, it doesn't really matter because the whole process is still fucking weird. Like, the, the fact that the referee and the fourth official had to have this conversation. And then rather than immediately going to the monitor to look at it, which they have apparently the ability to do, uh, they just give the red card and then like, ah, VAR will fix it. Like, I I just, why why do that? Like if you think there's a red card and there's guys in your ears being like, Hey, I think there's an incident like that. Isn't this what VAR is for? Like, why, like, I understand, I actually do understand a bit where it's like, I think there was a foul, I'm going to let this play go on because we're near the goal, and there might, like, I actually do understand that logic, but, like, the play is stopped, like, there is nothing stopping you from being like, I'm going to go look at this, and, you know, I can give a red card, it's just, I don't know, it's it's a replay stupid, but they found a way to make it stupider, I want to get off of this because we're just going back and forth about how dumb it is, but, I don't know about you guys, my instant reaction when this was all over and ZH was somehow still on the pitch, you know, my first reaction is they're absolutely going to score before halftime. No, not they, him specifically. Yes, 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 from like the halfway line or something. But it's like, I don't know, it was like, here we fucking go again, because I feel like there isn't a more cursed fixture than Spurs-Chelsea. 100%. It can go wrong for us against Chelsea, it absolutely does. And this led to a conversation with my friend that I was watching it with. And I'm curious what you guys say, because I think every Spurs fan has had this discussion. But, like, I think Chelsea might be, and I've gone back and forth on this, but I think Chelsea might be the team that I hate most as a Spurs fan because I think they have done the most to earn that hatred. Like, I hate Arsenal. Arsenal fans annoy me. They do things that I find really irritating. I don't like them as a team. 
but there is a certain amount of ritual to that. Like Arsenal are our North London rivals, so we are in a like we have roles in this relationship that we all sort of slip into. And obviously, there are things that reinforce why we all feel this way about each other. But you know, it's like it's just kind of like expected that you feel this way about them. Chelsea, I know they're a dart. It's a it's, it's a city rival. Is a derby, but. God, like, it is such a frustrating fixture. And they have, like, such hateable players who do things that make me so angry. And it just feels so much more earned than any other team. And I think I've, I've gone back and forth on this over the years, but I think I might hate Chelsea more than any other team. You're just so, a noob. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I know where Ben stands on this, and so I'm going to let him have the floor in a second. But I'll just say I, I hate Chelsea more. I've, I've always hated Chelsea more. I think the games are much more intense. Like I think they're much more. They they tend to mean more more often than uh, Spurs Arsenal has meant in the last I don't know seven eight years. Um, so I I agree. I hate Chelsea more. I think that's just recency bias talking. Like Probably. yes, when we were very good, Chelsea were much more of a problem. We had Battle of the Bridge and all these fucking problem games with them, and Arsenal were kind of irrelevant for like the last eight years, and that's been nice. But before that, we've had plenty of annoying fucking games against Arsenal. Plenty of fucking bullshit go their way. Plenty of bad calls in their favor. Plenty of fucking Adebayor red cards, you know, losing 5-2. You know, Flamini fucking pulling two goals out of his ass. Like, we have had so many shitty losses to that team that, like, I still haven't forgotten. They just haven't happened in a while. And, like, if this season, seeing Arsenal do the double over us on their road to possibly winning a title doesn't remind you how much those fucking people suck. Like, I don't, I don't don't know what, like, what is going through your head. I I just, like, I hate Chelsea, and I think the games are nastier, but, like, fuck Arsenal, and fuck every time we lose to that team. Like, that's... No, I, look, look, I don't want to pretend that, like, the rival against Arsenal isn't important or doesn't mean anything. What I mean is, like, I feel like Chelsea have just, like, like the best way I can describe it is you look at, like, some of those shitty losses against Arsenal, right? I hate those players because they play for Arsenal. And you're right, Ben. Like, like dumb shit is lined up for them. Bad things happen. I get it. But, like, I feel like Chelsea have assembled such a hateable fucking team in a way that, like, no, but, like, I feel like I would Who's so hateable on Chelsea right now compared to, like, any Arsenal team? I mean, Zinch, I mean, you really Havertz. hate on Chelsea. Havertz is like Grand, a fucking nobody. Graham Potter. Graham Potter is who I really hate on Chelsea. Like, this is like the most innocuous iteration of Chelsea I can think and of. Even like, I mean, Timo Werner's gone. Greg hates Timo Werner. He's not even there. I don't know. It's just, God, there's such a bunch of shitheads. Like, I, I find it so, like, again, it's just like, it doesn't feel as ritual with them. It just feels like they keep like it is just born out of them doing things or things just happening that and it always seems to go their way and that's what made this match so strange was where it's like oh it didn't all just line up for them and fall into place which is how it feels so often against Chelsea I don't know I mean I think you're crazy do you not remember like the Arsenal game it wasn't that long ago no I mean I I hate Arsenal, but it just feels like more of a ritual with Arsenal as opposed to, like, I don't know. Chelsea just seems to earn it in a way that Arsenal is just, like, it is just the way things are. Does that make sense? Like, it's just, like, one just feels like the way of the world. The other feels like, one feels like a naturally occurring phenomenon. The other feels like something that people built. Like, All right. <laughs> I'm also not married to an Arsenal fan, so that might. I mean, that's not even it. Like, I, I that I, I hated Arsenal before I ever met my wife. <laughs> God, they're just it, it always. I, I don't know. It, like, I, I'm sure you're right, Ben. We can go through and catalog the instances of like Arsenal just getting away with bullshit against, especially if we want to like go back five or six years or something like that. But it just. Man, it just feels like Chelsea always get away with it or something just breaks their way. Like, it never feels like the form matters when we play these assholes, which is, again, why this game felt so weird. It was like everything was lining up for them just to steal three points from us, and 
then Skip hit that goal, and it all sort like, of. I talk to you way. a lot, and like even when we're not playing against Chelsea, like if you if Chelsea were playing somebody else and got like a last minute penalty, I would not hear about it from you. If Arsenal like pulled some fucking undeserved victory out of their ass, you would be fucking texting me, DMing me, like bitching your ass off. Like you absolutely hate this team. Outside Greg does of, just like, like to complain though, so. <laughs> I do have like, a podcast. Are, I, if I like stir start chat history, you're right. All the time you're absolutely right. About Arsenal getting away with something, it would be too many to count. I guess it's just I don't know. It feels. It, I guess it just bubbles up with the, with Chelsea because it just feels like they've got so many shitheads that just you know it's like that. It's like this pet this red card, like just getting away with this red card. It's like it, it always fucking happens with them. I think if nothing else, they're they're the generally speaking the more intense matches at, le- at least in the last what eight to ten years well i feel like and i think it's ben makes a valid point here too is like traditionally i think i think if there is a big difference between arsenal and chelsea for at least from the perspective of a spurs fan is like chelsea fans or chelsea chelsea fans are yeah but chelsea players like chelsea generally have more shitheads on their team like, Arsenal's got had Xhaka for the last couple of years. But, like, really, you know, Chelsea, I feel like, constructs a team with a lot of detestable people or very easy-to-hate people on it in a way that, like, I don't know. I just hate a lot of guys because they play for Arsenal. It's like, whereas, like, there's a lot of guys on Chelsea that you just feel like you fucking hate. You would hate where, no matter where they play. And this is probably the least offensive Chelsea team, certainly since I've been watching soccer, which is, you know... I think tells you how much of their mojo they've lost, but just really don't like John Terry is what I'm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you throw like John Terry and Drogba and like Frank Lampard. You got problem yeah, with uh, Lampard, Frank Lampard? You got Hazard, like you know, Fabregas, Cesc Fabregas, there, yeah. who also played for Arsenal. Exactly. So I'm not sure if that helps your argument. But just man, they just seem to attract these pieces of shit. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they feel that way about us. Their brand is this, like, Mourinho smug bullshit. Like, that's really Chelsea's brand, which is infuriating in its own unique way. And I think there's a Are you familiar with Arsenal's brand? Because it's also decidedly unpleasant. (laughs) Yeah, budget Barcelona. I know. It really is annoying. But I don't know. It's like, again, like, getting away with it, I think, is the thing. It's like, that feels like the Chelsea thing to me. And... That's what's so fr- – I think that makes them uniquely frustrating. Maybe not more hateable, but like well, – I'm know. very happy for you then personally that we got to win this game. Yeah. So you, you could exercise some of those Thanks. demons. I'm, thanks. Well, what about Brian? <laughs> he hates Chelsea. Yeah, but I haven't been as vocal about it. So. Oh, okay. There we go. All right. I'm perfectly willing to see both sides of the argument. <laughs> just, you know, the perfect centrist. Just, just remember <laughs> – just remember how you felt when in 2012 when they won the Champions League. Just how fucking infuriating that was. I mean, you know, honestly, the team we have the most fun matches against, though, is Manchester City. And it's a real shame that they can't be better so that it's not a better rivalry. <laughs> Are we the closest thing City has to a real rival? I feel like they're still rivals with Manchester United. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure, regardless of how many times we beat them, that uh, and how ridiculously we beat them that they still feel very strongly about Manchester United. Well, you can't have a rivalry that that's one that one sided. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Well, d- don't forget their perfect eternal rivalry with Liverpool. Who you know, like we can all just envy that they have that. But I don't know. I'm sure. Again, it's 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 just a shame we don't play Arsenal again this year. So I can't get angry about them all over again and realize realize that you are in fact probably correct. <laughs> Can we play them in the FA Cup? Are they still in the FA Cup? No, City bounced them. City bounced them in the FA Cup, didn't they? All right. Yeah. And they're not in the Champions League, so we can't play them there. So, you know. I guess we'll have to table that rivalry for another year. Well, two of us will. (laughs) One of us has to live with it all the time. It's okay. You say that today. You say that. You but say that, Ben. Wait, you better, so you better hope Manchester Arsenal, City. You're like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. You better hope Manchester City runs that table. <laughs> I sure do. And like, on that, like all of us do. Yeah, no, yeah you're right. honestly, you're, you're 100 percent right. Um, so, 
So on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Um, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people uh, find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Comrade Eusperse. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to follow our show at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, Leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and we will be with you uh, next week, hopefully to talk about uh, more positive Totten results. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.